So a significant amount of value in stock options is really simply in the tax deferral advantage that they afford. So companies do a lot of modeling around that and they have to decide what the right conversion ratio is for them, given the characteristics of their stock, which include volatility, dividend yield, and the like. Welcome to the Executive Compensation Podcast. On this show, we discuss all aspects of executive compensation. Whether you're a compensation committee member, a seasoned compensation professional, or just curious to learn more about executive compensation, then this show is the answer. Each episode brings you a focused and actionable interview on specific topics of executive compensation. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. In this episode, we speak with Michael Powers and Rosie Newman of Meridian Compensation Partners, all about equity incentive choice. So to start off at a high level, can you tell us what equity choice is all about? Equity choice fundamentally is an elective right for a participant in a public company's long-term incentive program to choose what vehicle they want their long-term incentive to be delivered in. It generally involves a choice between stock options and RSUs, and maybe a little background on those two. Stock options just give you a right to buy the company's stock for a fixed price, generally the exercise price as of today, and that's over a 10-year period of time. RSUs, on the other hand, are an outright grant of stock, just subject to vesting requirements, but you don't have the full 10 years to enjoy that equity instrument. A quick illustration on equity choice. To make this live, let's assume your company wants to grant you $100,000 in value in long-term incentives. And they're asking you, what would you prefer to get, stock options or RSUs? On the RSUs, it's pretty simple. You take the 100,000 value divided by, let's use a hypothetical $100 stock price, you get 1,000 RSUs. For stock options, they use more complex valuation methods, including Black-Scholes, to say what is a stock option worth on the date of grant. And for our illustration, let's use $20 a share. So on that basis, taking again the 100,000 grant value divided by a $20 stock option value will give you 5,000 stock options. And so your organization would be saying, what would you prefer, 1,000 RSUs or 5,000 stock options? And you usually give that choice every year during the program. And so just how prevalent is this approach among major public companies today? Good question. Our data suggests this is a small minority practice, but growing. We've probably seen 10 to 20 large cap public companies that have equity choice today, often very successfully being used at those organizations. But we do expect that number to grow fairly significantly over the next five to 10 years. What are some of the fundamental elements of a typical equity choice program? Sure, there are a couple of key elements as we think about it in terms of how to best design an equity choice program. So first is considering who's eligible. Typically, we'll see all equity eligible employees be included in any equity choice program. So we want it to be broad-based participation. This is intended to be viewed as a benefit, as a choice that employees are able to have. And so it's helpful if we can ensure that there aren't many restrictions on participation. 
The one thing that companies will sometimes do is we'll see exceptions where the C-suite is excluded from the equity choice program. So at that level, the compensation committee will decide what mix do they want the C-suite to have, uh, and they'll be carved out from that equity choice program. And here, really, one of the key issues is uh, the disclosure and messaging and signaling to investors, since at that level, uh, the equity choice, it will be disclosed publicly, it'll be included in the proxy. And so some companies won't want that choice showing up publicly as we think about what message that might signal to investors. Another key decision is what vehicles are included. So typically we'll see just stock options and restricted stock units. And what we'll see and what we recommend is that the performance shares are often carved out separately and decided by the compensation committee. So for example, a company might decide that they want to have 50% performance shares, and then that remaining 50%, that's where the equity choice comes into play. That's where executives can then choose between options and RSUs. And this helps ensure that everyone has that same weighting overall on the performance-based vehicle so that you'll be able to have 50% on performance-based and then that remaining 50% will be that choice between either 100% options, 100% RSUs, or a split between the two. And so that's another key consideration is, do you want to have a set menu between that remaining 50% where you are able to select a couple of different alternatives or have more of a bit of a, a flexible sliding scale where you can have that conversion ratio for substituting one vehicle versus another. So those are a couple of key questions and considerations as we think about in terms of designing this type of program. And so what are some of the key advantages for both employers and employees of having equity choice? Yeah, great question. And we'd see it from two vantage points. So from the employee standpoint, we see flexibility, leverage, and tax deferral. So cover each of those briefly, and then we can talk about the employer advantages as well. So flexibility is really talking about as you have different lifestyles, stages for the employee, as you have different risk tolerances, they get to decide which event or which vehicle they want to use during that, that time period. So for example, let's say you're nearing retirement, or let's say you have kids that are getting to college and you want to be able to fund those college programs, you might be inclined to take the RSUs because they are delivering a known value at a known period of time. So it might be three years hence, those shares will come to you once you've gotten past the vesting restrictions on the RSUs. If on the other hand, you want more leverage, maybe you don't have as acute near-term cash flow needs, you might steer towards stock options. They give you a, a long-term time to grow in the company's stock price, again, generally 10 years. And on that basis, you might be able to just put those aside for a while and hope that they will deliver a significant amount of value. Again, primarily because of that conversion ratio we talked about before. So if you have five times as many stock options and that $100 price, 10 years from now, the stock might be trading at two or $300 a share. And on that basis, you'll have a significant wealth accumulation, but it doesn't help you with near-term cash flow needs as the RSUs might. So certainly both flexibility and leverage are important. The other more subtle advantage from an employee standpoint is tax deferral. And on RSUs, they're taxed when they vest and they typically vest in three years or so. With stock options, you might not be paying the taxes on that gain until year seven, eight, even 10. So a significant amount of value in stock options is really simply in the, in the tax deferral advantage that they afford. So companies do a lot of modeling around that and they have to decide what the right conversion ratio is for them given the characteristics of their stock, which include volatility, dividend yield and the like. 
And then there are significant advantages as we see it to employers as well. The first really is dealing with recruiting and retaining of top talent and having that some competitive advantage in a very competitive environment for talent today gives them a leg up over competitors in terms of both bringing in talent and retaining talent in the organization. And employees really do appreciate the flexibility of this choice program that they have. And again, some people are more high risk tolerant uh, and want to have the stock option as a long-term instrument and others want a known value that they can come home and maybe share with their spouse and say, we're gonna get this amount of money in three years if I stay with the organization. So that ability, Uh, To have that flexibility really gives a recruiting and retention advantage to the company. And the second is really they can also reinforce their culture. And the culture really matters to employees today. And on that basis, they can talk about how they care about their employees. And this is one element of that, giving them that choice rather than dictating when they're going to be taxed, when they're going to receive benefits from stock price appreciation over time to give you that choice. And choice is generally a very positive message to employees as part of the culture of the organization. I think uh, there are some disadvantages too. Maybe Rosie, you've got a a handful of those we can offset against some of the advantages we just outlined. Certainly, I think there are a couple of disadvantages that come along with it. And some of these are more key items to watch out for. And and some of those risks can be mitigated uh, as companies think about implementing these types of programs. But um, Michael, as you mentioned, choice, Employees definitely value it, but also it can be overwhelming sometimes. It's another decision that you need to make. Um, And while the employee gets to decide what's best for them and what makes most sense given their unique circumstances, um, everyone needs that information to be able to decide and make an informed decision. And so we found that significant education participants for participants and clear communication is really important here. And so in particular, that clear communication, what we've seen work well here is providing background information, providing detailed descriptions, examples for equity choice and the election alternatives to help employees be able to consider what makes the most sense and understand some of those tax and other implications for them. And it's helpful also to include FAQs about what happens if you don't make an election, is there a default selection for employees, as well as modeling and allowing employees to really get into it and understand what's the possible future value based on the choice that they make, taking into account the stock price, the conversion ratio, and help show some of those different implications of those different mixes. For example, it's helpful if employees can model themselves and see what happens at different stock prices. If I pick 100% options or 100% RSUs or a mix between the two, at what stock price is there an impact? Where do the options become more valuable versus the restricted stock units? Another risk is potential for winners and losers based on choice and stock price performance. And so you can go from a situation where we're all in this together, we're all on the same mix, to people on the same team are having different outcomes based on the choice that they make. And so this is something that we always have to be mindful of. This is always going to be the case at a company. There can be winners and losers based on differences in timing of when people joined the company and what type of grants they received. But here it can be exacerbated by the different choices that the executives make along with some of those differences in tenure. 
And this is particularly risky if, for example, the options become underwater. And so you're having a retention risk of some members of your team if options are significantly underwater versus other employees who might have made a different choice have more of that retention value from some of those RSUs. And then another risk, and I mentioned this earlier, is some of those disclosure impacts. So if a company chooses to include the C-suite level in this program, it does mean that their choice will be disclosed. There will be a table in the proxy where everyone can see whether they opted to choose options or RSUs or a mix of the two. And so this can have a signaling impact for investors in terms of how bullish or bearish they are on the stock and what they're thinking about it. And so that's just something to be mindful of in terms of that whether or not to include the C-suite in this type of program. And if you are going to include them, ensuring that you tell that story accurately and, and have the information in the proxy and to disclose what it looks like. And then one last risk is that potential impact on the equity burn rate. If more employees pick options than expected, the burn rate can go up and go through more shares. And as companies are thinking about rolling out this type of program, it's helpful to do some sensitivity modeling here. And so we'll have committees that look at the burn rate every year to understand where it is. And this is another input, some sensitivity into what exact choice do employees make and how can that impact the burn rate and the number of shares um, that the company is going through. So a couple of risks here, some uh, complexity in terms of the education, the communication, it can all add up to administrative burden in terms of additional time, money, resources. But we think that if companies design the programs well in terms of excluding PSUs from it and are thoughtful about some of these implications, the communication, the disclosure, that overall it is uh, can lead to some of those benefits, Michael, that you were talking about. And we've certainly had several organizations who've had these programs eight, eight or 10 years. So they know where the key risks are. They have they view those as manageable risk. And they, as Rosie said, there are ways to design around some of them, certainly including giving people the choice of a 50-50 mix. Some employees don't want to make a mistake. They want to balance things as they're hearing from their retirement planners that things should be balanced. And so taking half options, half RSUs is certainly not a bad choice for many employees. But most of the other risks we find are, are manageable and there are reasonable workarounds, including the disclosure risk, which I think gave a significant pause for some organizations early on when these were first implemented. They were very concerned about NEOs making a choice and what would that say, as Rosie said, about the stock and their, their confidence in the stock in the future. But the reality is most institutional investors understand that people have to diversify over time, that these are financial choices, and that people have significant amount of equity in other instruments as well, including the PSUs at the top of the house. So I think most of those are, are manageable, and I think that's why we believe in the future there will be uh, more utilization of equity choice programs by large cap companies because the benefits to the employee and to the employer, we think outweigh fairly significantly some of the potential risks. And so is there any other points that you'd like to hit on on where you both see equity incentive choice going over the next three to five years? Yeah, again, I think we see fairly significant increase in these type programs over the years. I think one of the key issues that 
organizations really want to wrestle with is the right conversion ratio. They want a program that's simple to both administer, but also to explain, as Rosie said. And so having a constant exchange ratio between the two vehicles over a fairly significant period of time really helps a lot. And I think if they can get comfortable with that, and that doesn't have to be a very narrow or ever-changing ratio where people can't really understand why is the Black-Scholes value for stock options changing so much. If they can make the exchange part of this program simple, I think we'll see a lot more utilization. As Michael said, we'll start to see this pick up over time. Companies, it's a competitive labor market. There's a lot of resignations going on. And so I think companies are exploring how can we take what we have and make it more valuable to employees? How can we increase that perceived value? And by providing the choice, I think that helps with that. And then certainly companies are also a little more open to, to experimenting, trying different things with the work from home model. People are now getting used to that flexibility, that customization, and this is just a, another example and element of how um, employees will be able to choose what makes sense for them in their unique situations. Rosie and Michael, I thank you very much both for your time today. This was extremely helpful and I appreciate you sharing this all with us. You bet. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Meridian Compensation Partners. Meridian works with compensation committees to ensure the most effective processes are in place to go beyond mere compliance with governance requirements and create healthy, dynamic relationships between the board, management, and its advisors. Meridian helps boards use compensation to attract and retain critical talent and to make informed business decisions that will link pay and performance, drive business results, increase shareholder value, and mitigate potential risks. Learn more at meridiancp.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Executive Compensation Podcast. You can see more about this episode along with additional executive compensation insights at meridiancp.com. That's meridian, the letter C, and the letter P.com.